Happening now, we want to welcome our viewers from around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good evening. My name is Jason Neifer, and I am the Curriculum Director and Assistant Director of the Montana Digital Academy in fabulous Missoula, Montana. I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Wesley Fryer. Good evening, Wes. Good evening from Oklahoma City, where we've had a very beautiful day and a mild weather week so far. So that's good because we had tornadoes two week, two days of last week and uh, kind of bracing for the for the May season. So. Yep, and the, the weather here has been beautiful, except it's still cold in the morning. So we will see what happens as the uh, May moves through. So um, I, I, I'm not sure if we talked about this particular topic before, but happy May the 4th to you. Um, I, of course, I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but I've never seen a Star Wars movie. So, I, okay, so I haven't mentioned this to you. So this is a fascinating fact about Jason Eifer. I have never seen a Star Wars movie. Wow. Okay. I know. So I know. We, how, we, how do you miss that? I don't know. I used to have students who, first of all, didn't believe me and then said, you? No, really? wait, wait, wait. You? And then you like bring in the DVDs and be like, we're going to sit down right now, Knifer. And it, yeah, it's just, it's never happened for me. So okay. I know, I know. Fabulous, fascinating fact about me this evening. So. Oh, that's right. And that's what we need, we need to start with. Gosh. And I didn't even come up with mine. Um, well, let me, I'll ask you to elaborate on that while I, I rapidly impromptu wise think of, of mine. Why, wh- how have you escaped that? And, and what's, uh, well, what's the I, backstory on that? I don't know how I missed them in, the, in, in, uh, my, my early childhood. Um, and then it gets to a point where it becomes an older movie then, not that I don't want to old movies all the time, but, um, and then by the early 1990s, it was like, eh. And then the new ones came out, and I was like, eh. In fact, I even sat with some friends in the uh, um, the line of, of one of the prequels, and, like, the line started moving. I'm like, okay, see you later, guys. And then, um, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I probably need to sit down and do it, but it feels like, I don't know what it feels like. I go, and, you know, every one of my even, you know, slightly nerdy friends, you're obviously part of the culture, but... Somehow I missed out. I've seen all the Star Trek movies. Um, I love sci-fi. I mean, I, you know, I certainly appreciate the genre, but uh, yes, I've missed out on at some, all. At some point, it's it's kind of a cultural literacy thing, and, and sometimes you feel like you've yeah. you've missed the boat. But yep. uh, for those of you that are joining us, uh, we don't have anybody live yet, but uh, we are averaging seventy-nine downloads per day. And uh, let's see, in the last. Uh, well, I don't know. It's our podcast, uh, cost me 18 cents yesterday. So, um, anyway, we're, we're, we're averaging daily about 76 folks. And let's see, we've, I'm, I'm using a, what S3 stat to do this. So, uh, 20, 2300, um, hits to the podcast in the last month. And, uh, our, our episode seven show, um, has 207 and all of our shows have, have had over a hundred. So it doesn't necessarily mean people have listened for the whole thing, but right. if you don't know, we we're going to talk ed tech news. But last week we started by <clears throat> saying that you had to share some, some kind of, uh, obscure fact. I'll share the one that I, I had shared earlier this week. Uh, I'm in a group called best keynote that Kevin Honeycutt, uh, has kind of gotten started from ESDAC and we had our first little, uh, it was actually on zoom, uh, little little uh, chat with folks and and i i recommended everybody share an obscure fact from high school and so mine was i i really have hesitated to share music because i have just all these wildly different um you know in, it likes that, that that may who knows what they'll do for for people's opinion but <clears throat> the little fun fact was that on my first backpacking trip to philmont scout ranch i remember that my friend jack graper and i listened to the rat out of the cellar cassette tape 
uh, nonstop over both sides there and back. And we're talking at probably a good eight to 10 hour trip. So anyway, yeah, there you go. So a few of, and I, I used to watch the headbangers ball on MTV. Oh, wow. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Right. So what are we going to start with today, Jason, now that we've just lost all the, the subscribers that we had had for today? <laughs> uh, well, let's start with maybe a very ed techy uh, a specific thing. And I'm curious to hear of, of how these particular tools might be impacting your district. But uh, Google has released a number of new features. Um, ed Surge reports that uh, not only is the Google um, Slides now enhanced in, in its feature set, including a live Q&A polling feature, a laser point feature, and then they've also announced several updates to the Google Classroom product. And um, the I would say that that one of the things that that Google definitely has an edge on other tool sets on right now is the beautiful simplicity of the Google Classroom system, which, uh, to be honest, I, I've heard more teachers talk about that tool than just about any other in the last four years when it comes to, you know, wide adoption of web-based tools. And uh, the one that's most notable to me um, about the updates to Classroom was that based on a, uh, a user request, they are now going to set up a system to um, allow Classroom to notify parents right. on the status of assignments, which is, you know, a, a pretty advanced feature. Um, a lot of commercial LMSs don't do that. Uh, so the fact that Google Classroom is taking on that very advanced role uh, in providing a tool set for teachers, um, I think it's pretty amazing stuff. So there's several things to parse here. First, uh, Wes, you're a presenter professionally. I'm a presenter pre professionally. We both do a lot of work on um, in presentations. Have you ever used slides in that con uh, in that that context? Are you a PowerPoint guy? What where do you plug into that that spectrum? I have actually transitioned to using Google Slideshows almost exclusively. So for a number of years, and you can still go out to SlideShare, slideshare.net slash wfryer. And every time I would do a, a, a presentation in Keynote on my Mac, I'd export it as a PDF, upload it to SlideShare. I loved how you could embed it. Uh, even, you know, did some of the slide casts where you take an audio and then you go in later and, and you synchronize it up and it requires you to listen to your whole thing. So if it's a 45 minute or hour deal, you know, it's kind of time consuming, but, uh, I, I guess the reasons I've transitioned to Google slides, one of them has to do with modeling because as a, a Google apps campus and, and just somebody who, who drank the Google Kool-Aid a while back and continues to enjoy sipping it daily. Um, you know, I, I really think that the affordances of having a linked presentation and, and I'm one of these people that just, they give it out early, right? Uh, I, I know some people don't give out their slides. If I was a, a really good marketer with email and, and you watch, you know, different folks, Ian Jukes and, and other people, they're, they're very protective of their slide decks and you have to email them. So they capture your address as far as doing that. You know, I've just, probably not not wisely from a marketing standpoint, but just really been, you know, shared and give it out there. Uh, I think that it's beneficial for people not to be focused on text capture when they're listening to you. And it's a wonderful thing to just be able to say, here it is. Like, and even the, I went uh, and did a presentation at a men's conference this last weekend. And I didn't have a single handout. Uh, but in the program, I had gotten the link where I had all of my slides. And, and that's just kind of how I've changed. I know we are people of the of the printout and the handout, you know, in professional development in a lot of schools, and we cling to that. But 
honestly, how long do you keep those things? For me, if it's not digital, it becomes irrelevant very quickly. And so anyway, I made the transition to, to Google Slides. Uh, it just sort of, I don't know that I sat down one day and, and, and said it, but I had, had started to use that more. And um, the fact that I don't have to go in after the fact and export it and put it somewhere. When I make a change, it's on the deck, it's, you know, because SlideShare is that static snapshot. Right. You know, you don't have the metrics and things, but I, I kind of let go of that a long time ago, even with podcasts, even though I just quoted our statistics. I mean, it's some it's interesting, but. You know, I, uh, I love Google Slides. So how about you? Have, what, what are you doing when you're, when you're sharing resources and handouts? And so I would say that I'm a huge PowerPoint guy, partly because that I am a bit obsessive over design. And I really did take, um, the kind of minimalist, uh, slide, um, uh, design philosophy and the presentation Zen stuff really to heart, uh, four or five years ago. And I work, I work really hard on my slides, really, really, really hard. And part of it's because I don't want to have people have to read off of them. And I like good visual cues. And sometimes I, they're, they're also good sets, visual sets for jokes too. And I like to, to add that piece to it. But, um, it, it's, it's been about 50 50 with me. Um, Google Slides really for me in the last two years has really added a lot of advanced editing tools that I like to use to create. Um, and, and I, and I get, I get a little obsessive about it, but, you know, I'll sometimes take a snapshot of a browser window with a web page to say, you know, to quote an article, for example, and then I'll use a tool like Snagit to take kind of a jagged, new, ripped out newspaper screenshot of a particular quotation and then lay that over the image that's been, uh, transparent size so that it, it's got a nice visual effect to it. It used to be the PowerPoint was uh, was really the only way you could pull that off. Uh, Keynote was uh, maybe a, a somewhat close number two, although Keynote has effectively um, been dead for the last uh, two or three years. It's not been updated. But um, in the last six months, I've really worked hard to find um, a kind of my, my zen with uh, with slides and the advanced images tools have been really amazing. Um, I don't, you know, I, I never use templates in, in that way, like a blank background anyway. So that was never a big deal to me. Although I'm going to share a tool at the end of our podcast today where you can find some better, more beautiful, uh, templates, uh, for, uh, Google slides. But I thought I, the, the particular Q and A, um, feature they're adding to Google slides makes this competitive with PowerPoint in another way. Because you can do kind of what Poll Anywhere would do with PowerPoint, which is to add that interactivity, particularly with large audiences, that I think is a really great feature that uh, uh, PowerPoint with Poll Anywhere plugged into it had over um, over Google Slides. But it's it just, you know, I love a good simple tool. Um, it's even better when it can be a simple and beautiful tool, and Slides for me is really that tool. Um, the updates to Google Classroom are really interesting, and I think there's also probably a couple stories here. Uh, you're a Google Apps school, Wes. Are your teachers adopting and using Google Classroom? Absolutely. But what's interesting is we're in the midst of a big transition of our whole student information system. Um, many uh, independent schools use a system called Blackboard, and some people have, you know, and we do too, a little bit, you know, different platforms and tools. Um, but it's it'll it's going to be very interesting because. Teachers who use Google Classroom today still have to do a double entry with their grades for us because, you know, you, it's, you know, Google doesn't have a grade book. I mean, they do have a grade book, but it doesn't interface with what our, what our parents see, you know, what our student information system that generates grade books, grade cards, you know, uh, transcripts, all of that stuff. So, uh, it's going to be interesting because the one that we're switching to is a lot more fully featured. It offers some integration with Google Drive. Um, there's a lot of things as far as alerts, et cetera, but, you know, 
I, I did a session. We already had a few teachers doing it. And last year when I came on board in July and then we got back to school in August, um, I did a couple sessions on Google Classroom and have had just some teachers absolutely love it and go full bore. And, and the biggest draw is that they haven't needed a lot of training. And one of our uh, tech team members, he's our, our middle division computer teacher, <clears throat> sort of wisely said the other day, you know, I'm always suspicious when the training regimen for some kind of new program is really, really extensive because it, it makes me a little scared. And so uh, to that, to that, idea, you know, Google Classroom is very navigational and has been very intuitive. Um, probably our case study, and I could drop this link in, is, is, our, is our orchestra teacher who has ha had his students go ahead and video themselves on their smartphone doing practices at home and then has provided feedback to them and they've been able to upload it right within Classroom. And I mean, how, how phenomenal. And so somebody who, who you wouldn't necessarily think of, I find those people, by the way, are the most influential in the school where they haven't been the tech person or the computer person, but they've really, you know, sort of drank, you know, had a Kool-Aid experience and then they want to tell people about it. Right. So I, uh, I think it's great. I did, I saw in the article, not only are they letting the notifications to parents happen, but they're also letting the future scheduling happen. So you'll be able to, if you want, you know, build out your whole course or next week or whatever, and you can have announcements and assignments, you know, scheduled into the future. So it's becoming more like a full LMS, a learning management system. Last summer at the ISTE conference in Philadelphia, I think we were right um, at the Google booth. I was really interested to hear them talk about it and they were, I've read things and then heard them also say at that time, this is not an LMS. You know, this isn't a full featured haiku, Schoology, Canvas, Blackboard, you know, that kind of thing. But it's certainly moving in that direction. And I, uh, I, I think it's fantastic. And it really, it's great to see the free tools and the capabilities of those elevated because it hopefully is going to continue to force folks who are charging to differentiate themselves and to further push themselves in terms of innovation because uh, Google Google gets sets the bar really really high I think in terms of ease of use and and that's one of the most important things we're we're looking at ticketing options right now and and one of the ones I won't mention these names but <clears throat> we're looking at one and they just haven't updated their UI and their whole system in a long time and it's like Guys, this is this is 2016. You know, I don't want to run something that looks like it was made in, in 1995. So similarly, I think it's great to see Google, you know, updating. You guys have have a separate LMS. What do you use at, at Montana Digital Academy? We use uh, Moodle Rooms's Jewel, which is an enhanced um, enterprise version of Moodle. And I've I've been a Moodle guy since 2003. So I've 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 used Moodle in, in a lot of different contexts over the past. Um, 13 years, but, um, and, you know, we, we use Google Classroom at, at the Digital Academy for professional development purposes. Um, we have a, um, I'm a big fan of checklists for, for technical setup of, of items. Uh, we have a pre-flight checklist and a number of checklists we have teachers go through to make sure that, that things are set up the way they need to be able to deliver instruction in a consistent way in our program. Um, and um, we use Google Classroom for that because it's just a beautiful, elegant solution to take a single Google document, assign a version or a copy of that to a large number of people, have them use that as a checklist and as a kind of an accountability process, and then hand it back to us so we can track. And there's no there's no other tool on the market that that really does anything 
anything close to that. And so, um, you know, and plus, I would also say that that the mo- mobile apps on Google Classroom are beautiful. Uh, they're fast and simple and easy to use, and interface as well with the um, excellent apps or evolving excellent apps for Google Drive. So you're able to get access to you know that document you're utilizing back and forth. Um, you know, when I before I, I took my my current position, I was a, a social studies teacher at a, a larger high school in the state of Montana, and I actually set up a rogue uh, Google Apps domain um, in 2008 through 2010, just so I could create a sharing system. And we didn't have email or anything turned on, and we weren't a Google Apps for Education. It's just a good old fashioned Google Apps before they started charging for that service, and just so I could facilitate essay writing and, and editing with my AP European history students, which is a very writing intensive class um, uh, in, in comparison to uh, a more typical uh, uh, history course. And uh, I would have given anything for Google Classroom. Like seriously, it would have been a, a, a huge time saver for me, which, um, you know, it, it, it was such a better way to instruct writing when I had that kind of direct live interaction with students um, in during that time. But, you know, I know that there's a lot of folks that, um, um, you know, are well, there, there are there's a lot of Microsoft people out there. There's a lot of uh, Google uh, people out there. I think there's a lot of merits to both. But I really have loved how simplistically useful the Google tool set's been for schools. Here, here's my uh, sort of uh, putting on my my fu- trying to be a futurist in terms of, of schools and, and this conversation. Um, learning management systems in higher education in the mid to late 2000s became normalized. So it actually happened earlier than that. It was more around 2001 because when I was the director of distance learning for the College of Education at Texas Tech University from 2001 to 2006, that was the big transition was that automatically we were using WebCT. You know, when a course was created at the university system, everybody had a WebCT and we were at least trying to help teachers put their syllabus there and you know, at a minimum, see the value of using it as a, as an assignment turn-in method where, where, and then also not have to burn CDs and being able to distribute course content. So I think the same thing is, is going to happen, but slower in K-12. And a lot of that has to do with money where eventually it becomes normalized for everyone to have a device, whether that's BYOD or school provided. And it becomes, and it becomes it becomes becomes normal to have a platform for blended learning where at minimum we can distribute course materials we can you know post announcements and then there's these other possibilities as far as having assignments and, and doing discussions and you know things live and you know embedding content etc so i think that it's really important for teachers to have some exposure and some experience working online and one of the things that was interesting when I was doing distance learning at Texas Tech and heard, learned about University of Phoenix, et cetera, you know, they require all of their, or that's not the time, and maybe probably still do, require all their teachers or professors, instructors to take one of their classes and to experience that. I think that it would be wise for us as administrators and leaders to really look at the teachers that we have and what their experiences are in an online and blended environment and provide professional development opportunities, not just to say, here, go watch this video, but to experience uh, what we would probably consider a, a high quality interactive experience because those um, 
the expectations are just going to shift as, as they have in higher ed, I think for K-12 as well. So, and I'm sure you guys, you live and breathe this every day. So you're, uh, I'm sure looking at not just resumes, but, uh, you know, what people have actually taken and taught in the online environment yep. before they sign up with you. Yep, very much so. And in fact, uh, we, we've been interviewing teachers to help fill out our, our, uh, program for this coming fall. And one of the questions we always get the most interesting answers to is, you know, have you taken, have you taught an online course? Have you taken an online course? Great. What does that do to inform your practice related to you being an online teacher? And you hear a lot of pretty amazing stuff. And to be honest, in the same way that occasionally you'll hear a teacher talk about, you know, I'm teaching to do better than I was taught. Um, I, I've heard that from a lot of colleagues um, over time. We get a fair bit of that, too, when we when we deal with teachers that say that, you know, I took this online class. It wasn't the greatest experience. I think I could do better for my kids. And oftentimes those folks are the ones that, that push the envelope a bit. And I think that as we start to evolve what classrooms look like, to adopt more of a blended learning environment that's a true blended learning environment, not just, you know, somewhat pushing tech into the environment. I do think that the nature of professional development will change to, to kind of enclose that. Um, I would say that, you know, uh, the Google Classroom has evolved very quickly. Um, I feel like they've rolled out features um, in a, you know, pretty quick and sustainable way. And, um, you know, it, it's true. It's not a learning management system. It wouldn't replace our learning management system at the Digital Academy for a number of reasons. But um, I do think on a university, um, it would be um, uh, probably a, a good strategy to utilize both. There's some folks that would probably use the full LMS, but for a good 80% of what a teacher might do at, at a college uh, uh, situation, um, Google Classroom would be more than enough. So interesting stuff. Um, so let me ask one other Google question, Wes. Is there any feature set anywhere across Google Apps that you find uh, you'd like it to do better? Or uh, is there something you've been wishing for over time? Absolutely. We're having some uh, good and very uh, needed conversations about YouTube at our school. And um, my wife and I are continuing to work on this, this. And in fact, I went ahead and put it as an extra geek of the week, inside and outside sharing. So this wow. idea that <clears throat> some things we share inside a password protected environment or just face to face, you know, on the wall or, or inside class. And other times we're going to share publicly. Um, I really think that Google um, and, and they, this touches on the content uh, moderation issues that we talked about in, in last week's show as well. Um, Google needs to continue to keep an eye for how um, content can be published and shared in um, on, on YouTube and m moderated and managed by teachers who are in a variety of different situations. And I have an actual app that I've talked to several people and I would like to, and maybe we'll have to talk offline about this, Jason, um, that has to do with if you're in a, in a classroom as, as I was the last two years where, you know, 300 kids a semester at that time, they didn't have Google accounts producing video. I have a channel, uh, you know, facilitating that publication process. And, uh, we're doing some things now where I've, we've created a separate, um, student account. We have a, a, a shared channel for student projects because you never want to hand out your obviously credentials to students, but for the duration of the project, then students, you know, we can log in on their device or, or you could have them log in anyway to try to, to allow their pub, the publication of their videos to a shared channel. So I think in similarly to the way that Apple with the iPad 
has been geared so much more towards the individual user and and not toward the idea of a shared card or you know uh, a shared situation. You know, Google hasn't been oriented that way with YouTube, which is understandable in both cases because the the, the demographics and and all that is is for the consumers, and there's far few fewer people uh, using these tools in classrooms than there are just using it on their own. But YouTube, my my quote that resonated with some folks, I I got to do a luncheon uh, learn for a group in Iowa on Monday, and I, I'm fond of saying this now: Pen, video is the pencil of the 21st century, right? So you don't think about you know, twice as far as pencils, unless even if you're Evan Honeycutt talks about doing stuff in, in juvie and, and having to use rubber pencils. But, you know, in most environments, we don't think twice about giving kids pencils. We shouldn't think twice about, you know, empowering students and teachers to have video and to have a place to be able to share video. So that would be the main place. How about you? Do you see some some places that, that have room for improvement, especially for education with the Google Suite? Um, I do. Um, I think that the there are or one of the reasons why I think that Google Docs doesn't get sometimes its due is because its design tools are still a bit wanting. And I'll give you a very specific example of this. I'm writing my dissertation on Google Docs, um, and I will not move away from that. It's uh, um, I decided that I, in fact, I one of the reasons why I, I struggled writing in the last six months is because I kept sitting down in a Word document. It's like I hate writing here. I don't like being stuck on this. I don't like having to move the file around. Yuck, 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 yuck. And um, the biggest challenge I'm running into, of course, is that I need to be in APA format. Um, it's uh, very uh, strict requirement as part of the degree program. And, um, you know, at some point I'm going to have to come to the to terms with, you know, like where the page number um, uh, is located, for example, and it's got to be this far from this piece. And someone that's somewhere out there will care about that fact. And um, and I know that that's and again, it's important part of the, the ritual and I may have to export at some point and utilize it in Word. And I can remember, um, uh, in fact, just a couple of years ago that, um, you know, Google Drive was was sometimes so difficult to deal with that I couldn't even guarantee, like, what was showing up on pages on the screen would not be how it paged things when he printed it out because of the the, the, the engine it used to generate the, the printed version of a page. And although I still don't print very much. In fact, other than dissertation work, haven't print, used, printed out more than 50 pages in the last year. Um, it's still important in this process. So it is something I thought a lot about, and uh, that's one thing that I wish you would do a little better. But otherwise, I just don't ever open up to start a document. Um, you know, anything on my desktop anymore it really is pretty much web-based. So I do love that tool suite. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, can I can I throw one out there for us? Please do. Well, I went ahead um, last week. I kind of organized a little bit under some some topics. I I put this. Uh, I said articles inspired by industries of the future. So I have been uh, continuing to uh, to love my Audible, and I I finished listening to this great book by Alec Ross. There's really four things that he talks about as being industries of the future and huge. So parents out there, as we're looking at careers for our children and let's encourage them, uh, these are going to be, it relates to the article, um, what, uh, what to do after the robots take our jobs, big data, robotics, genomics, and artificial intelligence. These are four things that all, you know, relate to STEM careers that are big and getting bigger. Um, and I guess, I guess I didn't put cyber, uh, cybersecurity, although I don't know, maybe that fits in with big data, but 
um, I'm gonna, I'll put cybersecurity as another thing. So the article is a New York Times article uh, that says tweaking genes to save species. And um, basically, biotechnologists, I'll read the first paragraph, have engineered the mosquito that spreads the Zika virus to pass a lethal gene to its offspring. Another team of researchers has devised a way to spread sterility through the mosquito population using a technique called gene drive to wipe off the or to wipe out the offending insects. Um, and as a as a related aside, I did have the opportunity to go to Brazil over spring break this year, and I was very glad to not see any mosquitoes at all. I did not venture out of Sao Paulo. Uh, I was just, you know, in the city. But uh, you, you see these maps of, you know, the Zika virus is coming and all of Brazil is red and, you know, it looks very, very scary. Um, but it, there is an element to this that's that's very uh, that's very serious in terms of of bio threats and, and the ways that you know it took a long time for some of these things to migrate across seas and oceans and now with with uh, air travel and, and the and the rapidity with which things can can come across so uh, you know the, the direct impact to education which is what we say here on the edtech situation room that we wanted to talk about is um, how does this relate to the classroom? You know, it relates to how we're talking about STEM in schools and how are we bringing these, these, not just these conversations, but thinking about providing pathways for students to take courses. And these are our moral issues. You know, I mean, who, who really would want to, I don't know, mosquitoes are a little different than when you talk about humans, but the ability for us to craft at the, at the genetic level, at the nano level, you know, nanobots, uh, uh, I am not privy to classified uh, level information at this point, but <clears throat> being told that DARPA and our intelligence agencies are 10 to 20 years ahead of us as consumers, uh, I have every confidence that, you know, our, our military and, and our intelligence community you know, has capabilities as far as putting different things, you know, into people's bodies to do just wild, wild stuff. And so we need um, an ethical layer to this. We, we are we're going to be faced with decisions that that we can make in our lives uh, in terms of, you know, maybe we're beyond our, our childbearing years and, and, and having kids. But there's there are pets. There's going to be, you know, decisions to be made as far as different technologies and. Uh, it's, it's something that I, that, that we certainly should be, uh, providing career pathways for students and thinking about, you know, how, how do we help, um, students become aware of these possibilities and also on a public level, how do we have dialogue about the ethics that comes into the different procedures and, and the different things that can happen? I mean, at once, at one level, there's a lot of scary stuff that can, you know, it can keep you up at night, and, and I don't I don't think we want to do that uh, to the extreme. But on the other, there are important ethical dimensions to this that, in in uh, you know, listening to the last couple books that I have, have really made me think a lot more about that as a STEM teacher, and wonder how are we going to catalyze and encourage conversations about this because we're not talking about science fiction. We're really we're really talking about today. So, what are your thoughts? Well, and I would say that that you know part of what uh, is is happening here is is the the fruition of the fast pace of of what technology is doing, um, it, it, what technology is doing to our world in, in subtle ways. Uh, there's obviously a presidential election going on for those of you that have been living under a rock for the past six months, and um, you know we will we will endeavor not to speak politics on this podcast, but 
Um, the, it's luckily, okay. I don't think we've ever said you. I mean, if you have got something interesting to say. Well, I, I, I won't, I won't mention specifics, <laughs> but it's been very interesting, um, to listen to the debate related to jobs. And I think one of the, one of the things that is not getting said is that, that part of what's going to ha- have to happen here is that I don't know if we've lost the manufacturing jobs we've lost for good. I think that the world is changing in a pretty fast way and, you know, um, uh, you know, where jobs have gone and where they will continue to move as, as part of this continuum and the, the collapse of the Chinese economy and yada, yada, yada. That's all interesting stuff. But where we probably need to be focusing on is that the world will look very differently when we get to a point where manufacturing is spread fairly evenly around the world and we need to figure out what, what becomes the, the life's passions and professions for the, those that remain with, with, without those skills or perhaps that, that they go study to get additional side skills that, that qualify for these so-called new jobs. And, um, you know, I, I, I think a lot about the, the concept of teaching and how that has evolved quite a bit in the last 20 years uh, since I started in, in the profession. And I do think that starting to take a slightly different skill set than it used to, partially because of technology, also because of the way schools have changed and evolved and the way we interact with schools and communities and students. But um, you know, that that's a, that's a, a, people would use the word scary. I think that's an, a very interesting opportunity that we are pushing uh, our, our, our students into. We have to have them thinking openly about, you know, how we will uh, look at the future and how we will uh, engage in the future and, you know, where, where your life's passions might then lead to a career. Uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting uh, data now being generated related to millennials in the workplace and how many, um, uh, there seems to be a greater entrepreneurial spirit amongst um uh, 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 folks under the age of 30, um, you could argue the economy has had a lot to do with that because traditional job pathways have been largely closed down in the last um, uh, 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 seven or eight years. But, um, you know, that that notion of, you know, taking skill sets and doing maybe a different pathway than had existed in the um, you know, previous generations of, of, of folks moving into the workplace is certainly a consideration. Um, you know, and I personally welcome our robotic overlords. So I, you know, feel that it will be a quite an interesting piece, uh, how that will play out. So it is, and it's hap- it's happening quicker than, than many of us, uh, well, or maybe all of us really, really realize. Um, I won't read the, the article, but the, the Bill Gross article as far as what to do after the robots take our jobs, it's that we're in this transition where robots are not going to just be doing the routine kinds of factory things, but they're actually, you know, doing cognitive uh, tasks. So, and and Peggy George, one of our three live viewers. So welcome all of you who are joining us live um, says, you know, a lot of people concerned about jobs want solutions now, not in the future. And um, you know, and, and they're angry and, Gosh, retraining and and starting over. I mean, we are are definitely a, an economy here in Oklahoma, very very uh, dependent upon oil and gas, and even the things have rebounded a little bit. I mean, it's continuing to to be quite difficult. Uh, we've got folks that, in our church and others that we know who, um, you know, are having to to start a new career uh, or they're just you know time time to do something different. And um, I don't know. 
lifetime learning, right? Having teachers that are lifetime learners yeah. that are continuing. I mean, like that's, that should be the litmus test of hiring a teacher today. So if you're willing to, to take some, some risk and instructionally, you know, step out and try new things and, and you're that kind of person, I've thought for a while that personality inventories that would show that if they're not already being used by administrators would really be fantastic. Cause that is one of the most important things that you, you want because whether it's the new, student information system, learning management system we're getting at our school or whatever, right? Change is is such a, a huge part of our lives today. Um, the other thing that I would say on this, as far as an educational implication, is just the need to, to be connected educators. Uh, and I will encourage any of you who are going to ISTE to uh, uh, come to a, a session that I'll be doing on um, discovering good ideas or discovering new ideas. And this is, as I have had opportunities to, and I'm doing a keynote or something at a conference and they want a breakout session, <clears throat> usually the first one I'll suggest is this one on discovering new ideas, which is basically trying to get a, a, a cute title to talk about Flipboard, to talk about Twitter lists, to talk about Nuzzle, to talk about Pocket, which allows you know to save articles that you read later, filtering the web, uh, accessing your network, you know, leveraging the groups of educators, the, 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 the thousands of educators that are, that are out here finding things, sharing things uh, to, to create your own custom digital newspaper. Um, hopefully our, our podcast and, and the show notes, which by the way, if you'd like to link to those are at edtechsr.com slash links. I mean, this is one of the reasons I listen to podcasts and use the expertise and the, you know, I don't know what the net, the, 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 uh, the way that people are out there on their own, you know, sweeping information and finding things that are relevant and sharing it and filtering it. Um, we, we all, I think, benefit from being connected educators. And I think that's a, another like Mardi Gras float that we all need to be on and invite others to join us on is to say, Hey, let's be connected. Let's share ideas and let's continue to find ways to uh, navigate the changing landscape because, you know, here we are and it's not going to, it's not going to get any slower and it's not going to get any simpler. It's really right. just going towards more complexity and, and more content. Right. And I would add one last note and then we can kind of move on to a final article for tonight. I'm working on a keynote for a, a, a Montana based conference in June. That is, I have a fancy title. I believe it's called, um, uh, a finding gray in our technicolor world. And what I'm going to try to argue is that, Part of the problem we, we, we are running into right now as um, um, as educators and professionals in a fastly changing world is that we really want X or Y to be an absolute answer to things. And um, uh, and and really, the technology doesn't lead to to that. If you go all in on something, um, it oftentimes will will will, will then lead to, to more problems than if you just kind of stay in, in the muddle middle for a while. And, um, and I'll, I, the, uh, now that I think about this, um, I should throw this link in. There's a, there's a study, um, there's a study that was released, uh, NPR covered it, I think it was last week, that says that uh, there's new research that says that taking notes by hand is a... Um, it slows you down and makes you learn better. Yeah, yeah. And right. so um, uh, uh, Pam A. Mueller of Princeton and Daniel Oppenheimer of UCLA um, studied or published a study in psychological science that um, uh, looked at, at, at the learning between the two and found out that, that handwriting notes was, was a better strategy for ultimately uh, learning or remembering content. And that goes back to uh, a notion that, that I keep thinking about is that, you know, you can't sell 
the Luddite version of something or the tech all version of something as an absolute solution. The, the answer is always in the middle, right? And, you know, if you go in uh, all in on something either direction, you're probably making a mistake that, that, you know, you as a professional will pay for, if you're in a classroom context, students will pay for. And so, you know, there's, there's all this pretty amazing stuff um, that, you know, obviously we're in, in an era that, that uh, you know challenges us technologically to evolve and, and 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 adapt and change, but that doesn't mean that that everything in the old way is wrong and everything in the new way is right. Oh, yeah. And there's a middle ground somewhere that you need to find. And I think the teachers that are, are are most adeptly navigating this landscape are doing so because they are probably constantly evolving and changing and abandoning and reiterating over and over and over and over again. Not unlike. What we encourage uh, uh, startups to do, businesses to do, entrepreneurs to do. I think teachers now need to take a, a similar vein in the way they do technology. So as, as I'm starting to put together slides, I'll share more of some of the interesting uh, kind of dichotomies that have been presented, I think, to education to say that probably this is wrong, probably this is wrong, and the answer is, is kind of somewhere in here. And I like to talk with my hands. So I'm sorry for all of you that are listening to this podcast today as opposed to watching our video. So, and I would add one quick thing before you do your, your last article or, or, or topic. And that is my favorite, um, strategies to help uh, teachers, you know, adapt and, and use some technologies are really the bridge ones where we're doing some old school stuff with the new school. So it's like narrated art. Let's draw a picture and now let's take a picture of it and talk about it because uh, you know, visual note taking and, and just representing things visually is, is cognitively much more demanding than simply, you know, copying verbatim the, the Roman numeral outline that, that you're maybe, you know, used to see on overhead projector. Now you see on PowerPoint. So anyway, I, I like that because it also can disarm people because yeah. you're like, wait a minute, you're asking me to draw this on paper. I, I thought we were technology. Well, we are. You're going to add your voice, but hey, guess what? You got a pencil or we got colored pencils here. You know, do this and draw it and, and also just, just stretching people. Um, because there's there's a lot of just uh, innate buy-in that we have to the old ways of doing things and trying to and, and I'm not just saying because it's new it's good but having an open mind and then really looking at what impact does this have on the learning and that article saying it slows us down and and makes us think more is really the key right how is it going to become sticky for you how are you going to do something meaningful with those ideas that are just going to help it you know stick in your mind better yep. and there's a lot of ways to do that and again I, I kind of think it's nice to, to disarm people a little bit with you know Right. Old school meets new school. Yep, couldn't agree more. And um, you know, and, and for me, uh, you know, in my context, of my day job, you know, I run a, a digital school, right? So obviously, you know, very high tech. Um, and for a lot of kids, getting out of their way is the key part to having to be successful in our environment. But there's so many students that that uh, you know that maybe don't fit into those 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 neat and independent learning environments. And our strategy sometimes is just to schedule a phone call with with a student, right? Like I with teacher and student need to sit down for 20 minutes on a phone. And oftentimes the student doesn't want to do it. And sometimes the teacher doesn't want to do it. But as it turns out, everyone usually thinks uh, 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 you know, me afterwards by saying that that's really what's required here. You're going to find out a little more about each other. You're going to be better able to figure out each other's stuff. And again, I'm, I'm the online learning dude, right? And yet I do think that, that there are plenty of instances where 
you know, all in in that direction is going to get us where we're going. So I think that's uh, an important part of being an ed tech person. So let's be wary of the reactionaries, though, and the folks that say, you know, hey, cursive writing, hey, you know, the old school. I mean, we we still, I, I very depressing. Uh, was told that our our new standards would not have passed in the Oklahoma legislature if cursive writing was not included. You know, that oh, was wow. a, yeah. that was a non-negotiable. So yeah. okay, what do you got for us for our last article? Well, and I'm going to do this because I think there's two pieces to it. Uh, the Verge had a really uh, fascinating article yesterday called Life's Too Short for um, uh, Slow Computers. And I see I spelled life wrong in the I'll title. I'll fix it. notes. And this is a, an interesting Verge article. There, there's really two topics here. The, the, the onus of the article is that the reason why the Apple Watch is not taking off is because it's too darn slow to, to be of, of, of use. And, um, I will, um, you know, also note for the record, I am wearing my, my LG Urbane, um, Android watch tonight. It's a platform I do really like. Um, it's a little chunky for a watch, but I'm a nerd. So, you know, what, what fashion rule am I breaking? It doesn't really matter. But, um, the reason why that article is interesting is twofold. And I think there's probably two small, uh, probably two smaller topics to talk about here. The first is that the, the rough, um, um, the rough notion of, of, of technology having to be fast and efficient and sleek to be well integrated into someone's life or work. And I think that's, that's topic one. Topic two is, is wearables is a broad topic. But I was really fascinated by this notion that, you know, why this platform hasn't taken off as, as some people expected is because the watch itself seemed to not be fast enough to kind of keep up with the way people want to use the device. And of course, I'm a little obsessive about this because, um, you know, I, I obviously spend, you know, nine, 10 hours a day uh, engaging with technology in a very direct way. And I buy powerful and fast computers because I want to never be slowed down by my technology. Um, but, um, you know, does every device need to be super fast to be useful? Um, does every laptop need to be well? I mean, it goes back to the, um, you know, to the argument, do you need a full-fledged fast laptop or just a a well-designed, uh, maybe low-end one, the Chromebook question, but um, it was pretty fascinating from that standpoint. But I, I would like to talk about the wearable question maybe a little more deeply. First, Wes, are you wearing any wearables? This is my $15 uh Casio watch, um, which I'm, I said I, I'm holding off because normally the Apple 1.0 devices yeah. are just not that great, right? The first MacBook Air, not that great. You know, the first Apple TV, not that great. First iPad, you know, we go down the list. So nope, not yet. Haven't, I did have a Fitbit for a while and it stopped kind of charging. And so anyway, my yeah. phone is now my, my Fitbit as we'll talk about yeah. the, of the week. Uh, well, and it's interesting to me that, uh, in fact, I don't know anyone with an Apple Watch. Like, I don't know any, like, uh, none of my, my kind of social circle has an Apple Watch. There's a lot of Apple Watch, uh, wanters in that group, but no one's pulled the trigger. And I think it's, it's precisely that 1.0 issue. Um, and of course, Android is in a different world than that because you know, they had one software that they then licensed or didn't license, gave out to the number of manufacturers, which created the different versions of it. I have been very happy with my Urbane. Um, uh, so the, the, I think the, the begs the question, uh, well, first of all, let, let, just to be sure about your $15 watch, um, no Bluetooth, no, 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 no Wi-Fi, 
No, no Wi-Fi, no connection. I, I did have I did have a much nicer watch for quite a while, and uh, I handed it to a student when we were uh, test timing rockets a couple uh, years ago, and and it just mysteriously disappeared. So I would have a nicer <laughs> one. Yeah, that was one of my lower points of uh, going back into the classroom. Right, so no, right. but, but, no, nothing yet. But it's but I've been interested, and in, uh, and friends that have had a Pebble watch. In fact, I almost Target was was dramatically uh, discounting the Pebble one at one point, uh, and and I. I probably would have jumped if, if I had, you know, been able to have an opportunity yeah. to pick one up for, for yeah. less price. But, yeah. you know, when it's the Dick Tracy feature and I can FaceTime on it, you know, when we're video conferencing over the watch, I think that, you know, hopefully that's going to come in the, in the 2.0 version. Yeah. Um, but also now that I'm getting, I'm just three days into my, I mean, I've done my various phases of fitness tracking. This isn't my first yeah. time to kind of be into it. <clears throat> but having those metrics and seeing the degree to which that can help change my own routines and behavior favorably right. for health and self-care, uh, yeah. I, I think that is, for me, the number one thing to think about that, uh, you know, I want help with. And I know that uh, when I was off regular insurance and on my own, you know, consulting or whatever, uh, for a while there, I was um, uh, having a fitness coach that I was, you know, having phone calls with and, you know, facing someone, actually this is a real person, you know, who you have to explain, what have you been doing lately? Or what are you eating? I don't know. It's different from having a device and you can just blow off notifications, but I'm, I'm intrigued by that because I know that I need to um, be more, be healthier and, and, and do better with my self care. And I think that wearables, have an important role to play. Um, I read an article. I think this was one that the, um, oh, uh, what's the, what's the first podcast you, you got me going on after we started? Uh, note to self. Note to self. Yep. They yep. did one where the studies were showing that it affected people differently. Not everybody responds to metrics or biometrics, you know, where you've got numbers and then right. you, are you know responding so anyway it's yeah. it's very it's that's that's super important right you know sitting right. is the new smoking you've probably said that on the podcast yeah. um so we <laughs> we need to be active we need to be getting up we need to be going outside you know, our kids are are uh are probably much more sedentary now especially if they have access to high-speed internet yeah. and some kind of a device so yeah. i think i think wearables have an important part to play um, as mobile devices should in our classrooms as well, right? We're not right. confined to the Agreed. computer lab. We're not leashed to this room where the internet is. Now we have devices that we can pick up and take outside and we should be. So right. I don't know. I'm, I will, I'm, if, as we continue doing this, I'm sure my journey with, with wearables is going to continue. And, and that might be actually a fun show uh, to invite some, some folks that are, uh, are wearable you know, we could we could get some actual Apple Watch owners to come yeah, in and talk. Yeah, yeah. It'd be and then interesting to come. The other, the other group that would be interesting too would be the. Uh, there's been a lot of folks in uh, uh, physical education classrooms that have used wearables to a, a great effect um, to help students kind of quantify the specifics that they do. And of course, I wear two. Um, you know, I, I have the Fitbit. That's how you got so many, you know, so many steps today. You, you got to double count. Yeah, I was doubling up. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, <laughs> um, and then of course the watch and, you know, they, they serve very different purposes for me. I mean, the, in, in my, my particular case, I believe that the watch is really powerful because it means that I can, um, I, I, 
only have some notifications, some apps to talk to me or talk to, to the watch. And so I can use it to kind of limit my access to the phone to say, you know, only when certain people text and only when certain notifications come across, does things go over my watch? And I just don't stare at my screen. Then I keep my screen, uh, you hidden away a little bit. And I think that's, that's the key piece for me. Uh, the one thing I do think I'm missing out quite a bit on, and I think we talked about this in an earlier podcast, um, about the health kit stuff uh, on the Apple side. That's the one thing that keeps me kind of flirting with maybe going back to the to the iPhone and to a, an Apple Watch is that I think that health kit stuff's pretty amazing stuff. And I obviously am hyper aware of health stuff um, in, in my um, uh, 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 recent times and the notion of tracking blood pressure and, tr- and being able to you know, share blood sugar information and all that stuff that is coming soon to a phone near you. I think that's a um, that's a really important piece that I I'm quite uh, quite interested in. So definitely, there that is. All right, geek of the week, sir. So I'm uh, gonna cheat and do two again, uh, but uh, I have been inspired by Jason and others to be a little bit more health conscious. And so I am using two apps now that I put links to. I had gone through a phase of my fitness pal, which is the one that you can use to track all your meals and calories and all that and kind of see how you're doing with your uh, weight. And, 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 and this other one, Pacer does a BMI as well. Uh, but my fitness pal, I'm basically using to do the diary thing with food and then Pacer um, integrates, and I don't know, maybe I could just get away with my fitness pal, but it pulls all the data from the health app on the iPhone and, uh, you know, shows you trend data and stuff like that. And so lets me set goals. The thing that's interesting is, and I did spend 20 bucks in app purchase, like ridiculous, right? That sounds crazy, crazy talk for that much for an iPhone app, but it's for this coaching feature, uh, which I've only used a little bit, but it is to, um, you know, help set your goals and then refine kind of your strategies and what you're doing with, with your fitness and stuff like that. So anyway, I've, I've used a few other ones and I am by no means, I mean, I need this, right? Like I'm, I told my wife this weekend, I hope I am at my maximum weight today, you know, of my life. Um, because I just haven't been as aware of that stuff. So anyway, those are two geek of the weeks that, um, I, uh, I like, and we would love your feedback. If you want to um, tweet to either of us, we'll share those Twitter IDs here in a minute. Um, uh, but my second one just real quick is a Google slideshow as Jason was asking me about, um, uh, at the beginning of the show. And it was a, a little video conference that I did for uh, Scott McLeod's group up in Iowa on Monday at lunchtime. And I called it an overview of inside and outside sharing. And so that's the slide deck. They recorded the Zoom video conference. And when that link's available, I'll, I'll put that in if anybody wants to check it out, but would love any feedback that anybody has on those ideas. Cause I think that voc- vocabulary is important. Words matter. And as we uh, adopt a, a vocabulary and we use that with students and we use that with teachers. Hopefully that can be inviting that can help us understand and have a schema for the world and kind of where different, you know, tools and, and, uh, technologies fit in. And it can also, you know, help us make decisions about what's appropriate and what we, and, and then in th- this case, I think I want to encourage more appropriate outside sharing because generous public sharing of, of ideas and resources is the engine of you know, creativity and growth for so many of us. Thank you, Peggy, for dropping, dropping that in. So that's my, those are my geeks of the week. 
Okay, great. Thanks, Wes. And then I like to share uh, a simple tool, um, but something that's made a big difference for me in the way I've engaged with uh, Google Slides in particular. But one of the problems with Google Slides, especially if you are a user that uh, tends to rely on templates, uh, is that the standard templates that come with Google Slides are, are frankly ugly. So um, I have a really great tool. It's Slide Carnival. Um, which has a, it's, it's not even more than, I think, 20 different good, simple um, Google templates for slides that you can easily then copy into your own Google account and then utilize them as part of, of your particular um uh, your particular presentation. And um, I, uh, by the way, I, I've been working on uh, reworking a presentation that I created about 18 months ago. And it, when I uh, make it available, I'll do the same with slides. Uh, I'll be presenting it later this summer, but it's, uh, presentations in um, in Google Slides, but uh, there's excellent uh, slide share, or I'm sorry, excellent slide share, excellent slides shared on the Slide Carnival site that you can utilize in a classroom environment that are much more elegant, in my humble opinion, than the, the templates. And I'd add one little quick footnote, and I think you'll see this on the slide deck. I don't know if I picked it up from Alec Kuros or Dean Shiresky or, you know, some some amazing presenter, <clears throat> but putting in the, the corner of all of the slides uh, a link to uh, my Twitter, if there's a hashtag for the event, that hashtag, and then I like to use a personal URL shortener. I learned that from Tony Vincent, Yorls, Y-O-U-R-L-S.com is a, you can run it on your own domain. So uh, the shortened link, but being able to have that, it, I, I don't know, I like that because hopefully that's going to be a visual reminder to folks that are, you know, tweeting to connect and then to be able to to find the slides. So I'm I'm glad to see Slides Carnival because... Yeah, I've just kind of been been the basic, you know, white or black background with with images yeah. and whatever. So maybe yeah. maybe I'll spice my stuff up thanks to this geek of the week. Excellent. So before we say goodnight, um, a reminder that we're available wherever finer podcasts are aggregated. If you are using an app that reviews uh, podcasts, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear more about what you like or not like about the show. Leave us an iTunes review. Will help us climb. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure we're one millionth on the, the listener board right now, but if you could leave a review, that would help uh, in, engage others in the podcast. We're now, now available on Stitcher. Um, start, search for EdTech Situation Room, and you will see our page uh, there, which aggregates the latest episodes that you can put within your um, Stitcher app. And then, of course, um, you can always find the latest uh, show notes and information related to the podcast at edtech sr.com for the ed tech situation room. So um, my name is Jason Neifer. I am the assistant director, curriculum director of the Montana Digital Academy and also the tech savvy administrator for the Northwest Council for Computer Education. Um, I bid you to have a good week and farewell. And Dr. Fryer. I'll take us out. So, yes, I am uh, the director of technology at Cassidy School here in Oklahoma City. You can find me on Twitter at WFryer, and my blog is speedofcreativity.org, and those are probably the best places to connect. Although, if you're interested in following me uh, 11 other places on Twitter, you can just click that little link at the end of my profile. But, no, I do not update in all of those places and continue to wonder how much is too much and probably push, push the edge of that. So we appreciate you joining us. Hope that you'll come back and look forward to any feedback that you would have that could influence what we talk about here on the education technology situation room.